Welcome to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. Walking with Purpose is a Catholic women's apostolate that creates fresh and relevant Bible studies to lead women to personally know Christ through Scripture. Hi, I'm Lisa Brennickmeyer, and I'm joined by Laura Phelps. We are two friends passionate about unpacking God's Word and applying it to our everyday lives. Each week, we will step out of the discouragement the world provides by grabbing hold of the hope we find in God's Word. Never have we been more convinced of the importance of women being grounded in hope. No matter where you are in the spiritual journey, we pray you'll stick around because God has a word for your heart and His word changes everything. So open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in. Hello and welcome back to the Hope for Right Now podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Brennick-Meyer. And I'm your other host, Laura Phelps, and we are so glad to be back. We are going to be continuing to read in this first season some passages from the book of John, the famous I am statements by Jesus. So this is week three. We are already in week three of our seven week series, which is on encountering Jesus personally in the gospel of John. So today we're continuing on this journey of letting Jesus's life and words about himself speak for him with each of these I am statements. So if you were with us last week, you know that we explored his words, I am the light of the world. And this week, this week, we're going to take a look at the third I am statement, which is I am the door. So if it's possible, if you're in a place where you can go ahead and grab your Bible, go and do that, because we are going to delve into John chapter 10, verse seven. This is where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And we're going to explore what this revelation of who Jesus is has to do with us today. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus, the door, welcomes us home. I love that. So, Lisa, do you mind giving us a little background on these passages? Sure. So we have got to look at the context of Jesus's words, I am the door from the chapter that comes before. So it's interesting when we read the Bible and come to the end of a chapter, our natural inclination is to think, well, that's the end of that particular thought or teaching. And now we're going to move on to a new one. And oftentimes that's exactly what the deal is. But when the Bible was originally written, there were no verse or chapter divisions those divisions came later. And so I don't know if this trivia is interesting for all of you, for the Bible geeks among us, I think it will be. So people have been dividing the Bible into manageable sections for thousands of years. And in fact, I just discovered this week that in the fifth century, the theologian and biblical translator Jerome divided the Bible into shorter passages that are called pericopes, which was a predecessor to chapters. And I found this interesting because I kept hearing that word in my grad school class on the Old Testament. I want to give a little shout out to Franciscan University. And I never did figure out what that word meant or where it came from until this week. And it probably would have been helpful to have known it during the class. But hey, this is when I figured out what it was. So Jewish scholars divided the Old Testament into verses around AD 900 kind of later, maybe than you would think. And then the first full Bible to be published with verse and chapter divisions was a translation of the Latin Vulgate in 1555 by a man named Estian. So I thought that was all kind of fascinating because it was all way later than I thought. And so that means that people used to read it 
in a much more continuous way than we do. And so all of that is to say that if we're going to understand the point that's being made when Jesus said, I am the door, we're going to have to look at the chapter before because chapter nine and 10 is actually one continuous teaching. And in John chapter nine, we find the story of the man who had been blind from birth. So when Jesus and the disciples were walking by this blind man, his disciples looked at the man and asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered them, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. And then Jesus repeated what he had said in the temple in chapter eight, I am the light of the world. And then he performed the miracle of healing the man and restoring his sight. So you would think, great, that's amazing. But there was actually a problem because Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath. And this really made the Jewish leaders angry because they looked at that and they said, Jesus is working on the Sabbath. So when this was discovered, Jesus had already slipped away. And so they brought the man, formerly blind man, in for questioning. And kind of an interesting thing happened as these questions progressed. As they were questioning him, truth was unfolding in his mind. And step by step, he was coming to a truer understanding of Jesus's identity. So this is Jesus at work in his life as the light of the world. So when the leaders first asked him who healed him, he said, he's a prophet. And then they asked him how he was healed. And the man said, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And this infuriated the leaders even more. And they said they didn't even know where Jesus had come from. And that was actually a big insult in a culture where family and heritage was so valued. And the man responded to them by saying, well, this is a marvel. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. So if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the way that the leaders responded is they threw the man out of the synagogue. They, in essence, pushed him out the door and shut it firmly behind him. And they delivered the clear message, you no longer have access here. So Jesus heard about this and he found the man. And when he found him, Jesus asked, do you believe in the son of man? And the man said, point him out to me so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you are looking right at him. Do you recognize my voice? It's me. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's basically what was going on. And the man said, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Pastor Eugene Peterson paraphrases Jesus's response in John 9, 39 in this way. I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. So this is another reminder, Jesus is the light of the world. But that's not all. Jesus wanted to make a clear point about what he felt about the Pharisees shutting the door of the synagogue on the man. And that is what he sets out to do in John 10. So keep that image of the door slamming in the face of the formerly blind man. And then listen again to Jesus's words in John 10 verses 7 through 10. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what we see here is that the Pharisees had been acting as an access point and often blocked the door. But Jesus responded by saying, I am the door, not you. I am the one who determines who goes in and accesses God. So that's some background, but I would love, Laura, to hear if you've got some thoughts on how we can apply this to our own lives. Absolutely. And thank you so much for that, because that is so, so helpful whenever you give us this this background and unpacking. I appreciate that so much. So I'm listening to you and what comes to mind, and, and you can correct me or not. It's the Walking with Purpose Bible study, Beholding Your King, that you spoke about access to God. Great study. If you haven't done it, it's an excellent study. But I remember specifically sitting in the parish hall and watching that video that you that you talk about this idea of what access looked like before Jesus, right? So like looking at the Old Testament, what did access to God look like? And basically it was restricted access. <laughs> so there was only one person that was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. And that was the high priest. And I remember you saying that he even was only allowed access one day of the year, which was the Day of Atonement. And hearing that as a cradle Catholic, I really began to recognize for the first time, to be honest, just the absolute privilege that we have to show up face to face with God, whether it's receiving the Eucharist or worshiping him before the Blessed Sacrament. You know, we have this access so I recognize that in that moment, what a privilege. And yet, because there's always an and yet, right? Like, and yet, knowing this reality in my head, it doesn't always translate to my heart. And when I think about having access to God, there really are two stumbling blocks that at least they come to my mind. And, and maybe some of the listeners, this will ring a little true for them as well. So two stumbling blocks that come to my mind. The first is just a negative experience right? Like somebody has a negative experience with another person. And usually it's words that aren't true that are spoken to us, but we believe them as truth coming from God. And so this negative encounter, essentially what it does is it shuts the door on us. And this could come from anybody. This can come from a friend or a family member. But sadly, Lisa, I think it often comes from somebody inside the church right? It's like a remark that's made by a fellow brother or sister or even a priest. A priest can say something that that's, that's well-meaning or not. We can mistake it as God's words to us. And, you know, having the privilege to sit in so many small groups and hear stories of, of different women's lives and their experiences, more often than not, the women that I meet who say that they've left the Catholic Church, it's because of a negative experience, because somebody told them in so many words, you're not good enough or your sin is too great. You know, like like you, you as you are, you can't possibly have access to God. And I've just seen it. And, and I, I bet women listening can think of an experience themselves. I've sat in these groups. It's women who are divorced. It's women who've experienced an abortion. It's women who have been unfaithful to their spouse. It's the women struggling with some of the church's teachings, right? These are the things that women are coming to these small groups with. And if they don't have, if they're not given a safe place where they can share and really ask the hard questions, seek answers to those big life questions. If they are met with judgment, what do you think is going to happen, <laughs> right? 
they leave the Catholic Church. That's what happens. They leave and they go and they find a nicer, kinder, more accepting non-denominational church, usually, right, with free coffee and free baby care and all the things. And it's tough because, look, I know that as disciples of Jesus, we are all called to instruct the ignorant, right? We are called to point out sin in others. But there's a way to do that, right? There's a way to do that well and with love and with compassion. And I think that's hard. I think that's sometimes hard. And unfortunately, all it takes is one thoughtless comment for a woman to believe the lie that, oh, well, people like me don't have access to God or I don't belong here. And this kills me, actually, because this is so backward. It's so backward because is this not precisely the woman that Jesus came for? Right. Like not the woman that has it all buttoned up and all put together and is super holy. And um, I talk about this a lot. One of my favorite scripture passages is you could find it in Matthew. It's chapter nine, verses nine through 13. It's the call of Matthew. Right. And I think we all know this story. Matthew is a tax collector. He's not well liked. And yet he's invited by Jesus to be his disciple. And I love the line. It's right after Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. The very next verse, it's verse 10. It says, Many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. Many tax collectors and sinners, they came and they sat with Jesus and his disciples. And I love it because then we've got the Pharisees and of course they're, they're upset, right? Because they're, they're looking, thinking like, why would he do that? Why would Jesus sit in the presence of such sinful people? And then we get the Jesus response, right? And he says what? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's in verse 13. And I love that because basically what he's saying there is like, don't you get it? My entire purpose, the reason I'm here is to give every sinner access to my father. Like that's why I'm here to sit with you. So that's number one. The second obstacle, I think, honestly, I think it's ourselves. I think we shut the door, right? We are our worst critics. We tend to carry so much shame Like we refuse to let go of our shame over our past or our present sins. And if we don't know Jesus, if we don't know the truth about who he is, gosh, we just stay stuck in that lie that we're damaged goods. We believe there's no hope. And I think what happens is we close the door. We deny ourselves access to God. And this might be, I think this might be the most dangerous, actually, because when we close the door to Jesus, there's an enemy waiting in the wings. And what he can't wait to do is point out all of the other doors, right? You know, and so what are these doors? Well, they're a lot lighter to open. (laughs) They're easier. They're way more fun because I think behind these other doors that we go to, we find things like immediate gratification. We find things like no accountability for our sins. And I speak this because I have walked through these doors, right? I have walked through them. And honestly, what's more painful than my own walking through the wrong doors? It's watching loved ones walking through these doors because I know from my own personal experience, they don't deliver on their promises. They just don't. It is only Jesus. He is the door. That's the only door that's going to satisfy us. And and I love it because I'm sure you notice this, but Jesus says, I am the door. Like every word in scripture is so important. He's not implying that he is just one door among many. Uh, Fulton Sheen talks about this in the life of Christ. He says, he did not say that there are many doors, not that it made little difference though, which other door one sought the higher life. 
He did not say that he was a door, but the door. He did not say his teaching or his example was the door, but that he personally was the unique entrance to the fullness of the God life. I just love that. I love it. I love all of these I am statements. This one, I I particularly love the visual. I find it's really helpful just picturing Jesus as a literal door that ushers us into a personal encounter with God. I just think that's so good. But actually, can I just ask a question, Lisa? <laughs> I actually have another question about this. When Jesus says, I am the door, love the visual. He doesn't just say, I am the door. He says, I am the door of the sheep. And so I'm just curious about that. Why Why the sheep? Yeah, good question. And we're going to actually get into this more next week because we're going to stay in John 10 when we explore the fourth I am statement, which is I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is going to move into that amazing teaching next. But just for our purposes today to understand why Jesus uses this metaphor, it's helpful to learn a little bit about what a shepherd did back at the time of Jesus. So at night, the shepherd would bring the sheep into a sheep pen to protect them. And a sheep pen was basically a really simple enclosure of stone walls with an opening. And at night, the shepherd would bring them in, single file, one by one. And he'd bend down and he would check them for wounds. And I love that because this is what Jesus does for us. This is how Jesus meets us individually, personally. And we approach him with all our baggage, all our regrets, all the ways in which we know we have not been enough. And he sees us, and then he looks us over to see where we have been wounded. He sees that full picture, what has led to this point, and he tends to our wounds, and then he invites us in to rest. And I'm so comforted by this. And just having been studying about this these past couple of days, I had one of those days yesterday with too much on my plate that I had committed to, so I'm fully responsible for it. But I just had that feeling of not enough, not enough time, not enough me, not enough getting stuff done, and and just feeling just kind of rotten. And I pictured myself as a little sheep coming to Jesus and him looking at me and not looking at my to-do list and saying, how are you doing? How are you measuring up against your own expectations for yourself? But instead saying, Lisa, where are you wounded right now? Where are you hurting right now? Can I just take a moment and just tend to that, tend to how you are? So I love that image of him checking us for wounds. And another thing, um, historians have found evidence that when these shepherds put their sheep in the pen at night, what they would do is they would lie across the front of the pen and act as a guard. They literally lay down and they themselves were the door. And isn't this exactly what Jesus has done for us? He has put himself in between us and what would harm us. So before anything can touch us, it has to come through him first. And he fights for us. He defends us. There is so much there that I love. But can I say, all I could do now is picture you as a little sheep. <laughs> and, it's kind of, and it's kind of adorable. <laughs> like, you know, that necklace you wear with the pearls and the heart? I'm picturing that on a sheep right now. Like, what's wrong with me? That was so beautiful. And that's where my mind just went. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. And this is what I love about Jesus. So good. Like, this is just tying in everything that I've been doing personally in my own spiritual direction work, which is all about wound work. I don't know if anybody out there has done wound work with a spiritual director. Yes, it is as painful as it sounds. In short, basically, every, every response that we have today, 
whether it's to something good or bad, it is something that is stemming from our childhood. Like that's our responses are built in us from when we were little, when we were our little sheep. And so wound work requires us to go back into our memories, back into our childhood, those memories, specifically, of course, the painful ones, right? The direction for me was to go back into these moments and to recognize like, where is Jesus in that moment? of like my pain or my hurt? Where was Jesus? And to really look for him and then ultimately to ask God to heal my memory, right? We can ask him to heal our memories. And honestly, total confession, but I can say it because I've already discussed this with my spiritual director, uh, director. I am a very disobedient student. Like I did not do my job last month because every time I sat down to do my wound work, I'd get about five minutes into a painful memory and I would stop and I literally wrote in my prayer journal, I don't want to stay in the memory. Like it's written. I don't want to stay in the memory. And I close my journal and I basically shut the door on that work. And in the few minutes, because it really was just no more than a few minutes that I attempted this exercise, what happened was I couldn't see Jesus in the memory. You know, Lisa, when you talk about the shepherd lying in the gate, like and how he's there to defend us, my first thought was like, well, but what about those times I didn't I don't feel like he came through, right? Like what like if he's really lying there as as the door, as the gate, why did such and such happen? Like where were you? And so that's what this work is doing. It's 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 looking for him, but I'm too impatient and I don't see him in the memory, right? So um basically what's happened is my body is revolting against walking in the wound work. And when I shared this with my spiritual director this week. In addition to being told that I have major control issues, surprise, surprise, she very kindly said, you keep looking to others to know how God loves you. And I'm going to repeat that because I feel like somebody else other than myself needed to hear that. She said, you keep looking to others to know how God loves you. In other words, you keep opening other doors, looking for love for someone to tell you you're enough, right? Like knocking on every door, but the one that counts. And don't you wonder how many of us do this? How many of us do this? Because we tend to base our worth on how well other people receive us or how many likes we get on Instagram posts. I mean, what social media has done to us is a crying shame, right? How many comments did we receive? Like that's a reflection of who we are. And honestly, I really believe that I was beyond this. I thought like I've got years of ministry and reading scripture. I figured that I at least gotten this one thing right, that I served an audience of one, right? I thought I knew it. I'm a beloved daughter of God. My identity is in Jesus, right? I thought I knew that. I thought I believed that his opinion of me is the only opinion that matters. As it turns out, I am human, my friends. <laughs> and humans tend to look to other people. We do. We just, we tend to look to other people or other doors to fulfill the unmet needs of our childhood that we continue to carry today. And I don't know what that unmet need is for everybody else. Uh, it could be a need for approval, to feel wanted, to feel safe or understood. Those are big ones for me, safety and, and just the need to be understood. And um, when we go to other people searching for this, this is disordered love. This is disordered love. And the Lord like those those sheep you talk about, Lisa, like he just wants to heal this. He just wants to heal this. But this is the beauty of him. He lets us choose. He lets us choose him. 
And I, I love this, this whole studying the verse about I am the door. It made me go to Revelations chapter three, verse 30, where we read, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And I love that because he's saying like, you're invited. I'm waiting for you. Like he wants to welcome us, but he will never force us. He's not going to force that door open and pull us in. And the scripture, the scripture is clear that there is only one door. And that door, if we choose it, it leads to pasture, right? When you talk about the sheep, the pasture, that pasture, my friends, that is way more than a field of grass. It's actually everything we need, right? It's the food. It's the, it's everything. It's the safety. It's the healing. It's the rest that we all seek. It is the abundant life. It is the abundant life that the Lord offers us. And I don't know about you, but that's the life that I want. (laughs) And the way to that life, it's through Jesus. Laura, I just want to thank you so much for your honest and humble sharing about how hard that wound work is and just the times where we can only stand it for three minutes and, and we opt out. And just your honesty about how hard it is to think at times of Jesus as the door and lying there to protect us and to defend us. And then we're left with the question, but then why did this happen? And I just want to honor that part of your story, that part of my own story, and that part for so many of you all, my friends who are listening, your story as well. I I don't know if you two felt at that moment that your heart kind of caught because you haven't been able to wrestle that one to the ground. Where was he? And we're not going to go deep into that right now. That's something I would love to treat as a, as another series that we do. And um, I think it's so important. We have a whole Bible study about, really about that, um, called Fearless and Free, which has a lot of my own personal story in that. But I just, I just want to call that out, that that is a really difficult thing to wrestle through. But there is a way to wrestle that through, to come to peace, and to find where Jesus was. And um, so I want to give you hope, even though we're not going to delve deeply into that. But one last thought that I have about this passage, thinking of Jesus as the door, it makes me think of Ephesians 2, 13 through 14. So St. Paul was also thinking about the things that slams the door in the face of people, the things that divide us and shut people out. And he wrote in Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. So he broke down that wall and he created a door. He is that door. And this means that you are not disqualified or outside the reach of his mercy. You are not. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means you, my friend, are being invited home. There is a place at the table for you. And as Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. As long as we recognize that we're wounded, we're thirsty, we're hungry, that we need a savior. If we will but admit that, the door will always open. And we are all invited to come in. There is room for us all. And that means you, my friend, belong. The door is open to the self-righteous woman who is just beginning to own her own need for a savior. The door is open to the one who has made moral choices that she's later regretted. The door is open to the one who has been told all her life that she's a mess 
and won't amount to anything. The door is open to the one who wakes up every morning and goes to sleep every night hearing a voice that says, not good enough. The door is open to the one who has spent the majority of her life ignoring God. Whatever you think disqualifies you, I want you to hear me. Jesus says, no, come, draw near. So here are some parting questions for you. Something you can chew on over the next week, something you can maybe journal about. Number one, can you remember a time that you felt the door was closed in your face? And did you mistakenly think that God shut the door when it was actually someone else? Or maybe were you the one closing the door on God? And another question, what other doors are you trying to open in hope that you'll satisfy your unmet needs? Is it the door of pleasure, the door of success and achievement, the door of relief, the door of joy? What is it that you're thinking is going to bring to you what only Jesus can bring? And then last of all, what are your unmet needs? Ask the Lord to reveal those to you because only he can bring true healing. So I'd love to close us in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, I just thank you for being the door and for being the good shepherd at that door, for looking at our wounds, for welcoming us in, for recognizing in each of us who it is that we want to be for you, although we so often fail. Thank you for throwing the door wide open to us all, for welcoming us home, and for always meeting us with unconditional love. Keep us safe, Lord, in this time when we'll be apart from each other. May we go deeper. May we take these things to prayer. May we seek to not just build up information, but to apply these things to our own lives. We just invite you to speak to us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. We would love for you to subscribe, share today's episode with a friend, and leave a rate and review. And don't forget, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. This is where you'll get sneak peeks into new content, special events, and exclusive discounts sent directly to your inbox. Finally, we know how important it is to keep the conversation going. So we've created a private Facebook group exclusive to listeners like you. You can find the newsletter and Facebook details all in our show notes. It's our privilege to unpack God's word with you, and we can't wait to do it again next week. Until then, friends, don't forget to open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in.